Welcome to Lorica, the podcast of Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. St. Patrick's is a parish in the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America, serving the Western Rite. Father Patrick is also the administrator of the Orthodox West. We all know that by the authority of the scriptures, which teach explicitly, and by our own experience, that we are in the process of being saved. We are being saved. Of course, we do not save ourselves. God saves us. And yet he's made us active participants in the working out, as St. Paul says, of our salvation. We could go so far as to say that your participation is absolutely required. God will not save you without your involvement, which would be an act of violence on God's part, and force is alien to love. Salvation is a process. It's incremental. At least in our perception on this side of the veil, it's a working out, a a transformation of our man from glory to glory. Like a seed that the farmer plants, the kingdom of God, is, it grows over time. We don't always see it immediately. That's why it's important for us not to judge our progress. It's a very dangerous thing we're all tempted to do from time to time. We must avoid judging our progress. But it requires this salvation, this life, this journey, this race that we are on. It requires diligence and steadfast endurance. It requires patience in order to see it to the end. We read in Luke that it is by patient endurance we shall save our souls. We might ask ourselves, in what way can we participate? What is our role? Well, our epistle this morning begins with two admonitions from St. Paul, which at first sound very sort of spiritual, metaphysical, and yet he very quickly moves from that to a concrete and practical application. In our epistle to the Ephesians, St. Paul says, First, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That's the first admonition. And the second, he says, is then to put on the new man, who, according to God, is created in justice and holiness and truth. First, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Well, here the word he uses for mind is noose. The noose, that's the It's not just the intellect, although it involves the intellect, but this is the center of your person, capable of perceiving, of knowing, of receiving God himself, the truth of God, the revelation of God, the knowledge of God. It's that aspect of your person, we say, which makes you a spiritual being, the noose. Animals have a soul, but they don't have a noose. We, being made in the image of God, are created with this, we're spiritual beings, We have the capacity to receive and to know God. And that's our noose, our intellect, our mind in scriptural language. Of course, because of the permeation of death all around us and corruption and the lies of the devil and the appetites of our flesh, as we all can attest, our noose is darkened. It's like a window, but it's not clear. We can't see very clearly through it. It's become opaque. It's also broken. It doesn't work right. It needs to be healed and it needs to be cleansed. And in this case, Paul says, it needs to be renewed. This is a matter of perceiving and knowing and receiving the truth. Who is a person? 
of being delivered from deceit and lies. And that's the first thing Paul says after this double admonition, actually, a little bit later on, after he says these first two things. The first thing he tells the people is put away lying. Put away lying. So he puts emphasis here, the renewal of the mind, the renewal of the noose, the ability to know the truth, to receive the truth, is to be free from lies and from deceit. And of course, we know that the devil is called the father of lies. He's a liar from the beginning and the father of lies, Jesus said. That's how he identifies him, as a liar. And of course, Jesus is the truth. And he has sent us, sent us the spirit of truth. So the renewal of the mind has a lot to do with knowing the truth, seeing and perceiving the truth, facing the truth. This is necessary for our sanctification and salvation. If we're not committed to facing the truth about God and about ourselves, then we are incapable of being transformed. Absolutely critical to making even a beginning in the spiritual life. That's one reason why confession is so helpful, so useful, so important. Confession really about us facing the truth, the truth about ourselves. And this is a process, as we know, we don't go to confession just one time and all of a sudden we perfectly know ourselves. Coming to know ourselves is a lifelong pursuit. We don't know ourselves very well. We don't see ourselves as God sees us. But that should be our prayer. It's a bold and dangerous and courageous prayer, if you really mean it. If you ask God to help you to see yourself as he sees you, you probably should be sitting down, be prepared. He wants to answer that prayer, if you really want him to answer that prayer, but it's not so easy. It's not so easy, but it's liberating. And in the end, it brings us true, deep, abiding joy. But if we don't do this, until we do this, we cannot move forward. We have to face ourselves. The reason we're afraid to do this, of course, is because sometimes it's not so pretty. And to face ourselves and our condition and our corrupt mortal condition means that we have to actually, it's the same thing as dying. To face ourselves means we have to die, die to ourselves. And we don't really want to die. (laughs) We're afraid to die. We're full of fear. And we're full of fear because we don't really believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If we did, if we lived in the full faith and belief of the resurrection of Christ, we wouldn't be afraid to face ourselves. We wouldn't be afraid to die because we would know that that's just a door. It's not the end, it's a passage to what we really desire and that is life and joy and the delights of the kingdom of God. So what do we do? We try and preserve ourselves by lying to ourselves and not facing the truth about ourselves and all that does is leave us in our bondage. Remember, the devil is a liar And Jesus is the truth. So this is the first thing St. Paul admonishes us to, is the renewal of our noose, of our mind, which has a lot to do with us being willing and having the courage to face the truth. The next thing St. Paul says is that we are to put on the new man, who, according to God, is created in justice, holiness, of truth. There again with the truth. The new man, of course, is Jesus Christ himself. The eternal and only begotten Son, the Word of the Father who has become man, He has created a new humanity, a new man, in this language of St. Paul, according to justice and holiness of truth. Interesting, St. Paul tells us here in this passage that we are to put Him on. We are to put Christ 
on. Like a garment, we are to clothe ourselves with Christ. And that's precisely what he says in Romans chapter 13. Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to participate in this. Does God clothe us or do we clothe ourselves with Christ? Well, we didn't create the new man. We didn't cause the incarnation. We didn't cause the eternal word of the Father to descend into the womb of the Blessed Virgin and take on our human flesh. That was a work of God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And yet we are to put on the new man. We didn't sew our new garment, going over to our gospel lesson very quickly here. Putting on the new man is sort of indicative of our garment. It's actually this white surplus that our servers are wearing and our alb that we're wearing underneath. This is we wear on behalf of all of us. We all receive this white garment in our baptism. It's our baptismal robe of righteousness. It's the new man. We didn't sew the garment. It was given to us, but we have to put it on. Now, if you're a child, somebody puts it on for you. You're baptized into the kingdom of God as a baby, and... That garment is put on you, but you have to own it, right? You have, to, you have to sign the check. You have to endorse it. You have to endorse it through your whole life, really, not just once. So we must wear it. We must put it on. It's a dynamic wearing of Jesus Christ. In our gospel lesson, we see what happens when someone shows up at the wedding banquet. The wedding banquet, here we are at the wedding banquet. What shows up, what happens when someone shows up who is not properly clothed? Seems a little harsh, but they are cast into outer darkness. The host, by the way, in that instance, at one of these wedding <clears throat> parties, the host would actually provide the garments. It was, you didn't have to bring your own. You just showed up at the clerk. We'd give you yours in your size. Well, <clears throat> so it was provided for you. You just had to put it on. Well, this man didn't put his on, and he was cast out, simply because it's impossible to be in the presence of the holy king without transformation, which the garment represents. These things are mutually exclusive. So back to our question about how we go about being renewed in the noose and putting on the new man. How do we clothe ourselves with Jesus Christ? Renewing of our mind requires faith to face the truth about ourselves. It requires us to stand still, to listen. We go into a lot of detail here, but I'll mention a few practical things. It requires us to not listen to people who are not worthy to be listened to. Choose your friends wisely. Something I always taught my kids. I had a little maxim in our home, bringing them up. No friends. No. <laughs> That's why they turned out so well. They have no friends. Jesus did not entrust himself to man, for he knew what was in man. I'm only partly joking. Of course they have friends. But their friendships boundaries. Their one true friend is Jesus Christ, and they understand that. They do have friends, but they choose their friends carefully. And when God calls them to minister to someone who is not of the same mind or values, they don't think of them in that way. They are there to be a friend to the person, but they don't entrust themselves to the person. Choose your friends wisely and be careful who you listen to. If you're going to renew your mind and your news, besides confession and facing yourself and being honest about your own sin and your own failings, you have to come to Mass. You have to listen. You have to listen to the scriptures and the prayers and the hymns. And it's really helpful, if you can, 
to come to matins and vespers because we have readings there. And I can't tell you from my own life, I know some of you, you have reasons, practical reasons you can't be here, but I can tell you uh, from my own experience how powerful the, the readings are. Every matins, every vespers, they, they really speak to me and touch me deeply. They have a big impact. And when we come to Mass, and when we come to the services of the church, and when we do our daily prayers, if we are attentive, now if we're daydreaming and our minds are wandering, which I know we all struggle with, but we have to fight that, you know. Oh, my mind wanders. Well, my mind wanders too. Fight it. Pull your mind back and concentrate. That's what you do. So we're all struggling with the same things. So we have to pay attention. And the renewal of our mind, it's not just sort of some ethereal, metaphysical, sort of disembodied, impractical thing. It does have to do with the intellect. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You have to open your ears. You have to listen. You have to hear. And you obviously can't hear if you're not here. So you have to be here to start with, which means you have to set your alarm, which means you have to not hit the snooze button. So don't sweat the big stuff, as I, I just shared with our young people in Georgia yesterday, and I told them, don't sweat the big stuff. What matters are the little things, like getting to church on time, paying attention. That's what matters. That's what will save your soul. God doesn't really care whether you're going to be a surgeon or a barista at Starbucks. He doesn't care about that so much. What he cares about is that you don't hit the snooze button six times on Sunday morning. That's what he cares about. Because if you're not here, you can't listen. Then when you come, you can't daydream. You have to pay attention. And that's a habit, you know. If you're habitually daydreaming, then you're going to find it harder to pay attention. If you spent your entire life habitually daydreaming, it's going to take a few years to learn how to focus and pay attention. The renewal of the mind. You have to face yourself with honesty and you have to place yourself under the judgment of the scriptures and the teachings of the church. Then how do we clothe ourselves with Jesus Christ? That seems even more sort of challenging. How do we practice that? What does that look like? Well, right in the passage here in the scriptures, it's explicitly clear Paul's approach to this. And it is whenever he talks about this, and he talks about it a lot. He moves very quickly from sort of metaphysics to morality, which is not a bad word, by the way, to obedience, to doing the right thing, to self-limitation, and focusing on how to enter into our relationships with other people. He immediately talks about Putting on Jesus Christ, he talks about anger and resolution, resolving conflict. And then he talks about stealing. He says, stop stealing and go to work so you have something to share. So it's about generosity and giving. So what he says, the way to put on Christ is to get a job. Put on Jesus Christ. Go get a job and stop stealing and make some money so that you have something to give away to people who are in need so that you can be a real Christian. Doesn't get a whole lot more practical than that. Sounds mystical to put on Jesus Christ, putting on this new man. And yet, for St. Paul, it's intensely practical. In Romans chapter 13, which I quoted earlier, clothe yourself, or it's the same word, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, but the last part of that verse he says, and make no provision for the flesh.
to fulfill its lusts. So putting on Jesus Christ is not some ethereal sort of transcendental feeling. Putting on Jesus Christ is living the Christian life, which is bound up in generosity. The essence of what God has done for us by giving us existence and by sending His Son to die for us, He gave. He gave Himself. He gave His divine life for us unto death. And if we are going to be like God, then we need to learn how to be generous people. So if we're going to put on Christ, we can't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. We have to renew our minds through facing our own sins and repenting of those things with courage. And we need to live a very practical spiritual life in how we deal with our anger, in how we deal with our lives, our jobs, our work ethics, how we relate to one another. This is wearing the wedding garment. And this is what gets us into the marriage supper. It has to do with goodness, morality, faith in God, the practical outworking of your faith. And we must not become so enamored to those of us who have discovered metaphysics when we became orthodox, which is very exciting. Very exciting, I admit. But we can't become so enamored with our newfound metaphysical faith that we forget about living it out in the nitty-gritty of daily life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have been listening to Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. This has been a production of the Orthodox West.